Good day, everybody. I want to welcome you to our session on authentic leadership entitled, our podcast entitled The Other Everest, which is exploring conversations with authentic leaders. It's my good fortune to have this opportunity to introduce a conversation with a person that I have a great deal of respect for. For those of you who have been listening in on these podcasts, you know that uh, my passion, my name is David Irvin, and my passion is, is leadership. And how do leaders develop the capacity to influence? Think of the leaders in your life that have influenced you, that have impacted you, that have been a, made a difference in your life. And then how do they get to that point? What is it that makes a person what we call a leader? And we know that it has nothing to do with their title or their position or the letters behind their name or the size of their office, but it's about who they are as a human being. And one of the great privileges that I have is that I made some amazing leaders in the course of my work and in my life. Now, Today I'm going to have a conversation with a person that I have a tremendous amount of respect for. His name is Tim O'Connor. He's the CEO of a very successful growing company in Canada called Results Canada. It's a company that makes a great deal of difference to businesses. It's about helping businesses get results. But I think more importantly, Tim makes a great deal of difference, Tim and Tim's company, makes a great deal of difference in the lives of people. So, Tim, it's, it's my great fortune to, to have you on our call today, on our podcast today. Uh, you're a person that I've known for, I'm, I was thinking this morning, how long have we known each other? I'm thinking 20 years. It may not be going back quite that far, but I have had nothing but respect for you and admiration for the way you run your business. We want to hear today about uh, your philosophy of leadership and your philosophy of business, and then I want to probe a little bit to find out how did Tim get to where he is today? How did Tim become not the success that Tim has had in terms of the external world, although I want to hear a little bit about that, but more in terms of how did Tim become the influential leader that you are today? And I'm going to probe and try to extract some of that from you, Tim. And, uh, and I, think that, I think your story and some of your experiences and certainly your philosophy will have a great deal of impact positively on our listeners. So welcome to our podcast. Well, well thank you very much, Dave. That's such a kind introduction. And um, I think I'd like to say back at you with some of the things you said about me. Certainly, I hold you in very high regard and have an immense amount of respect for uh, not only you as a person, but the work that you're trying to do through uh, the work of authentic presence and authentic leadership and uh, this whole approach to the other Everest. So thank you very much for having me. And as you know, uh, you know, Tim, you've been through my leadership program where I take executives through this course at the Banff Centre here in Western Canada, and we call it the other Everest because the whole notion is that so much of our lives are spent going upwards. You know, we all know that Everest is the highest peak on the planet. But what, what's less known is this other Everest, which is the journey down, the Mariana Trench, which is virtually an inverted Everest at more than 8,000 meters below the surface. So it's my premise to step away 
and to really look at what what is that journey going down? Because success isn't just about height. Success is also about depth. And you bring a great deal of depth to your leadership and have taken in various forms over the course of your lifetime, I would suggest, this journey to the other Everest on many occasions. Tim, maybe we can start by just having you tell us a little bit about Results Canada, what your mission is, what, uh, where you have spent this last dozen or so years in your life building this uh, hugely successful company here in Canada. Yeah, thank you. I'd, I'd be happy to. So, um, Results is a company that's that's based on a belief, and our belief is that there is significant untapped potential in organizations. And the reason it's uh, untapped is that there's a problem with execution. We think there's a chronic illness, I'll call it, in in small and mid-sized companies that have amazing ideas and amazing people and 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 grand plans and good intentions, but something goes sideways in the execution of those plans. And so we work with directly with leadership teams uh, to help them put in place the systems and the structures and um, the understandings and, and in some cases the plans and the strategies to um, help execute on those intentions and those visions that they have. And uh, it's a very gratifying work. Uh, We build very uh, deep relationships with the client organizations we work with, and uh, we have an opportunity to make a difference every every single day. So that's what we do, and my role, um, as you mentioned, is CEO of the organization. I I do sort of feel that our organization structure is upside down, where I, I provide the support to the men and women in our organization that are that are truly the stars of the show, and uh, I try to help them be their best and work in their genius every single day. And we're a small group; uh, we have 20 people on our team, but I think we're doing really meaningful work and important work for the future of uh, of organizations and, and for our country, in fact, um, because the uh, you know the economic engine of any of any country in the development world is small and mid-sized organizations. Can you speak a little bit to the process that you use when you when you work with uh, companies? Yeah, certainly. We, we take leadership teams through uh, an assessment process at the beginning to assess uh, fit for our program, which uh, looks at you know their their current state and where there may be gaps in their internal execution systems, but also really assesses the, uh, the motivation for change. We call it the tension for change with the leadership group because if there isn't uh, enough tension for change, then the work that we will try to implement with them um, won't take hold. There has to be um, enough motivation, enough fuel to want to make the change in order to do that. So, so that's the assessment step. And then from there, we work um, for many months uh, or, in fact, years with our client organizations to try to improve their structures and systems within the organization. So that could involve um, how they present themselves in the market, what their differentiators are, what their people systems are to uh, attract great employees, great players in their organizations, uh, their hiring process, their accountability processes, and so on. So that's that's all part of what we call the results execution system, which is a system that we've created over 20-plus years of doing this kind of work to help organizations reach higher levels of performance. 
So can you articulate how did you become passionate, if you will, to do this work? Where was the seeds? Where were the seeds of this first planted? Can you can you go back and articulate how how was the formulation of this mission? How did that come to be? And I'm I'm assuming it's not just something that you sort out and you have a you figure out what your mission and vision and purpose is, and then you build a business around that. I'm assuming it's evolved. But can you articulate some key moments or some defining moments early in your life that would have led you to want to do this work in this way? Yeah, that's a great question, Dave, and I haven't really thought of it in that way. I think there's uh, a whole bunch of experiences that I've had through my life that have resulted in uh, me being here today, as I think anyone could say. Um, I, you know, I've certainly been trained from, you know, studying uh, technology in university um, that there are processes and systems that uh, can drive certain results. And... Um, from a technology perspective, that's very true, but also systems that involve people, I think, relates to uh, to systems that, and structures that define behaviors within organizations also help drive results within those. So that, that probably is a starting point. Um, my personal mission in life has been for many years to help people live without regret. So I, um, I really have a personal, almost emotional response when I hear someone speaking about um, time that's been wasted or something that has happened to them that they've been the victim of. And um, I really try to work in my professional and personal life to help people push through those uh, to, to take accountability and, and believe that they have some control over their, over their lives and can do something about it and, um, and to ultimately implement change in their lives. And I suppose, I suppose that personal mission then in turn um, has linked to where we are as an organization in trying to unleash, unleash the potential of people and of organizations in the work we do at Results. Well, I think that's a great segue into the next part of this conversation that I'd like to kind of delve into a little bit. As you know, Tim, my whole work is around defining what people's inner compass is and then living their life in alignment with that inner compass. And I'm wondering this whole notion of living life without regret, as you say, where was that born? Do you, do you have a sense of where, that, where your passion for the work that I'm doing and the alignment around what are you seeing in the work that you do with leaders, maybe I can ask it this way, the work that you're doing with leaders, what are you seeing when you see, when you see a lack of account, or, or a lack of accountability, certainly, but a lack of authenticity, because I think those are two are very intertwined, a sense of when people do live their lives with regrets, or they live their life out of alignment or disconnected to some kind of an inner compass. Can you articulate what you see in your work with leaders, and and what w might lead that to your mission around uh, living life without regrets? Yeah, let me try to answer that question because I think it's it's multifaceted, Dave. So let me let me start by first of all suggesting that uh, I've seen in my career and certainly in the work with results a lot of different leaders and a lot of different leadership styles. And I think I, I probably started my career believing that there was one way, one way 
to be a great leader. And um, I was fortunate to be exposed to a lot of leadership training and development early in my career where um, we'd study great leaders, whether it was, uh, you know, uh, a Jack Welsh or um, a Bill Gates or, or someone else that was known at the time as a great leader. And I always found that um, these so-called role models um, had certain characteristics and, and that we were all meant, if we were sitting in a classroom, we were all meant to try to emulate, whether that's being inspiring or being a great public speaker or being a great strategic thinker. And um, that's fine, and there's skills that can be developed in those areas, but at the same time, if we're trying to be someone we're not, I think that takes a lot of energy. And um, I think that can wear us out every day where we try to act like someone we we are not. Um, and at the same time, I think people have um, become pretty aware of people, of, of, of others who are acting um, in a non-authentic way. I think we all have a very human uh, spider sense, if you want to call it that, or intuition around the fact that um, when we meet people or talk to them, we can almost immediately sense that someone is um, speaking or acting in a way that might not be truly authentic. And uh, fast forward to where I am today, as I look across the organizations that we work with at Results, many of them are successful, very successful. They're award-winning companies. And um, I can't yet see a pattern that, that says, you know, all of the leaders are like this or like that, other than they've all figured out where their own strengths and weaknesses are, they're transparent about it, and um, and then they try to surround themselves with others who are complementary to their skill set. So I, I don't know if that's directly answering your question, Dave, but uh, I believe very strongly that um, there isn't one one skill set or one type of great leader. I think anyone can be a great leader if they're willing to uh, firstly go deep and understand their own core competencies and then be open about that, transparent about that, and surround themselves with people they trust who can complement those, those skills. What you do speak, though, of one of the key components that I have found in all authentic leaders is that they do have a sense of self-awareness and that they're open right. to be more self-aware and that they're invested in their own development. How do you, how do you find that, that people who are committed to being self-aware and learning and growing, not just professionally but also personally, how have you found that's impacted the lives of the leaders that you work with, as well as your own life. Can you articulate that? Um, maybe a little bit. Um, I think people um, are attracted to authenticity. I think it's a magnet. Um, and uh, I think that they're repelled by inauthenticity, if that's a word, inauthenticity. <laughs> sure. um, so, so uh, you know, any successful organization needs to be very good at attracting uh, what we call A players, really, really good, talented performers. And so um, a starting point to that is, you know, we can't choose great, great people for our organizations if we don't have a pool to choose from. So 
we need to begin by um, operating in an authentic way as individuals, but also as, a, as an organization. And I wrote a blog article about this uh, a year ago, um, which, which speaks about how in our world today, uh, there is way more transparency than there was a generation ago um, when a marketing department could uh, spin a yarn and put some messaging out and talk about how great their company was or how great their products were, um, yet be dysfunctional internally. I don't think we can do that anymore in our organizations. I think there's just too much um, transparency um, through technology, through people feeling they have uh, they have the ability to express now. Um, and it's really necessary that organizations and people um, bring their authentic self uh, to the table and communicate in an authentic way. So uh, it absolutely supports the research and the work that I'm doing, that when we ask people, what do you want from your leaders today, what I hear is we want people to get past the fads and the favor flavors of the month and the, and the, the, you know, the gimmicks, and we just want our leaders to be real. And I think you're absolutely correct that people know they have a sense. This person is real. This is a person who I can trust. This is a person I'm attracted to and drawn to. This is a person I want to do business with. And when we get that sense, uh, I think it, 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 it builds leadership capacity. It builds the influence to, to in, uh, it builds the capacity to influence. And it builds a, a sense of bringing value to the marketplace. And I'm, I'm just curious, Tim, when you reflect on this whole notion of authenticity, how, do you, how does one actually know who they are? Because there's so many voices that tell us how we should be, that tell us what, what we should do as a leader. So many books written on what leaders do, and so we try to emulate that, as you have expressed so well. How does one actually come to know who you are? Is there some kind of a process, or were there defining moments or turning points in your life that helped you discover this is, this is the real Tim? Because I think... I think authenticity has taken a bad rap over the last while because I think people have used it as an, op- as a, as a, as an excuse, as an excuse to say, well, I'm going to walk around being a jerk because that's my authentic self. That's who I am. But in reality, if you have to go back to the essence of who you were born with and the seed of possibility that you came into this world with. Nobody's born a jerk. You learn to be a jerk. And I always say there's a difference between an adolescent self and an authentic self. And just because you have an impulse to do something or just because you have a, um, a, an emotional reaction to something, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's authentic. It has to come from a deeper place. So I'm just curious if you can think of anything that has that has inspired you along the way or that has helped define you so that you know that this is the real Tim because I know that's why you're respected in your company. It's why you're respected in your, in your, with your customers, those the clients that you serve because people get a sense of I'm dealing with the real deal here. This is, this is authenticity. And I always say it's hard to articulate that. It's a lot like beauty. How do, you, how do you articulate what makes something beautiful? But you absolutely know when you're in that presence. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, again, there's uh, this is multifaceted. So the first thing I'll say, Dave, is I, I don't know. I don't know that I do know, and I don't know that anyone can say that they know. I think this is a journey that takes us through our entire lives of learning more and more about who our true self is. And uh, I know you've journeyed with uh, family members who have been in their their final days um, on this planet, and, and I've done the same, and I'm doing, and I'm there right now with my mother, uh, who's in hospice right now. And um, I feel that, um, for me, certainly, it's a gift to be on this journey uh, with her. And um, I, I, I think she's discovering her authentic self, even in these final, final weeks and months of her life, because it does force us to get very raw when we face our own mortality and really start to ask the big questions about, you know, who, who am I and why am I here and, and where am I going next? Um, so I, I, don't think, I, don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's a finish line. It's not, a, it's not a finish line for me, and part of the reason why I love spending time with you, Dave, and attending the other Everest is I, I'm still on my journey and I'm still trying to find um, in a deeper way, in a deeper way, my, my calling. Um, so I, I think that maybe answers part of your question. You know, the other the other thing I'll say too, and I think there this is a danger for uh, people who are entrepreneurs or leaders in in business, and that is that there's a very easy temptation um, and tendency to identify your own personal worth with the worth of your business. And I faced this uh, about ten years ago when we were um, involved in an international partnership with another organization based in New Zealand, which uh, we were very excited to get into. Uh, but as time went along, um, the parties found that their visions of the future and their desires were diverging. And I was right in the middle um, and expected to be the conduit between the two parties, the Canadian organization and the, the uh, New Zealand organization. And uh, I learned through that experience that um, I couldn't tie my my value and my worth to the success of that partnership. In fact, that partnership dissolved and we unwound that relationship in the end. But I had to really spend time thinking and spending time with people outside of the work environment to remind myself um, that my value to them, my friends and my family, didn't change whether this business was a success or not um, because my kids would still love me no matter what happened. Um, and that was, a, that was a big milestone for me to create that separation and not try to or not assume that my value and my worth was tied to that of my business. Well, Tim, you, you bring up two critical points from my perspective and that is this isn't a place you arrive at it's not a it's not a destination it truly is a journey and the way you know when someone's authentic you just showed us a, a picture of your own authenticity 
through your own vulnerability and humanness. You didn't have that all sorted out. You haven't got it all sorted out on this journey with your mother. You haven't got this all sorted out on the journey with your business development. But you're committed to understand and know yourself. And if you're engaged in the struggle, if you engage in a palliative care process, the same way that uh, I've learned that the best leaders that I know of are not afraid of facing their own mortality, aren't afraid of being with loved ones in their, in their last days, as, I, as you know from my own journey with my brother. People who are invested in life, in the complete totality of life, who embrace their failures, who embrace and learn from mistakes that they make, that journey is what you have just described as what I would call authentic. And it, it, it isn't a place that you arrive to to say, oh, finally, you know, I, Tim didn't used to be authentic, but he just arrived at this point that now he's qualified to be called authentic. This is, it doesn't work that way. Right, exactly. it, it, it's, a, it's a whole process where you're, if you're invested in it, as opposed to um, denying it, as opposed to withdrawing from it. Um, it's about embracing it. You know, I have to tell you, a lot of leaders that I have met over the years have been raised in disheveled families with a lot of pain. And in, in response to that pain, they turn to overachievement and defining their worth by their, by their bank account and drive themselves, and society might say, gosh, that's a successful person, but they've actually been running away from reality. They've been running away from the pain that they've had in their life. Being raised with abuse or alcoholism, success is one societally uh, supported way of, of handling that. But what you're suggesting is no turn and face. I don't think you're saying that we have to go through pain necessarily, but we have to go through the experience of being and facing ourselves. And that decision actually helps you be a better leader. I think you would support that. Would you, Tim? Yeah, yeah I would. I would. And I, I let me come back to your comment about going through pain because I do... And I've been thinking about this a lot recently. I do believe that adversity matters. And when I think about the people that I admire um, throughout history, people I know personally or people that I've, I've studied through history, the ones that I admire the most are the ones that have um, come through significant adversity and, um, and have learned to operate despite those setbacks that have learned to push push through that um, I don't find I'm as drawn to the stories of people who never had a challenge in their lives and things came easy <laughs> if, you, if you know what I mean um, and I think there's there's something to that and, and I think this is part of our human condition and I'm I'm strongly influenced by my my Christian beliefs and um, I 
is what releases a masterpiece and by chipping away through the application of, of force um, during our during our lives. At least that's the analogy that somehow popped into my head about three months ago. Um, so you know, I believe strongly that um, that there is a reason that um, the world is is full of of pain and, and suffering, and I think humanity in many ways is broken and we need to learn to we need to learn to accept that and live with that and push push against that and essentially lean into that to bring out our our true character you know there's and again there's you and i actually have talked about this in terms of is this any different than a faith journey is it any different than a spiritual journey whatever you want to call that in your own way Whatever you define it as, it's a journey within. And it can be as simple. I was just coaching a fellow just last week who's a German shepherd. He was taking his German shepherd to the vet to have the vet put his dog down, and he was bringing his family around to be a part of that whole dying process. And I think there's something to be said about going into what's uncomfortable Hey, I'd rather just, you know, and again, this is no formula here, and it's not a rule that you have to do this, but that that sense that I need to face this. I need to be with my grief around this. I need to, to, to use this grief opportunity, this suffering in our family right now, as a way of bringing our family closer. And this yeah. is a leader who's tremendously respected. And you know what? He talked about how he's going through that imperfectly this is an animal that's been with his family he's got young kids and they've been with them their whole life how does he do this how does he help his his kids through grief like this and in one way it's a minor grief compared to a family member but at the at the other way at the other hand it's 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 a way that he's learning how to be with the humanity with his own humanness yeah we live in interesting times and um, I would characterize them as, you know, sort of this this contrast between the fact that we we know that adversity matters. We know that a certain amount of stress is needed to grow. It's why we it's why we exercise. We put our we put our bodies we put our muscles through a certain amount of stress because we know that that will result in them growing and and being more capable. Yet at the other end of what's happening in our society, more and more, we are finding ways to avoid pain and suffering, whether that's through, uh, you know, drug and, and alcohol use or um, indulging in, in other, other luxuries or avoiding a difficult conversation or, um, or the money, you know, the money that's spent in, uh, in, in health care. Um, which I'm not saying is a is a bad thing, but um, it's just a really interesting um, contrast that we have in our society right now, where we see value in um, adversity, yet at the same time we pay so much attention to trying to avoid adversity in this life. Well, Tim, you know it's interesting as I reflect on my own authentic reaction to this podcast in this conversation right now. I always start these conversations. I, I'm uh, nervous because I'm not, a, uh, I'm not a, 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 a trained interviewer. 
I'm, I'm a person who's passionate about leadership development. And I'm passionate about having conversations. And so when we get into these conversations, here's what I struggle with right now, is you and I had a conversation just before we began about the best podcasts are really short today. You know, they, they're 15-minute segments, and they're, we're, we get into people's busy lives. And, it, and I'm conflicted because I want to make these stories short. I want to make these conversations short so that we respond to the marketplace's need for busyness. At the same time, I want to have people stop their busy lives and step back and actually give themselves permission to reflect on some of the things that you're talking about today. And this is not a quick soundbite. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's making room in your life for looking within. We are so uh, conditioned to be driven by so many externals, and, and technology isn't necessarily helping us with slowing down and listening to the voice inside of us. We're so well conditioned to be driven by our customers and our bosses and our stakeholders in the world. But we're not, it's not a well-developed muscle to stop and reflect on some of these questions, which you have raised today as being paramount. Some of the issues that you're talking about are being paramount to not just building a great company, but having a great life. Yeah, I, I agree with that, and um, certainly I think it's getting more difficult when you think about the pace of life and the the uh, invasion of, of technology and information into our world, um, all of which are, are wonderful things, but it does, I think, put us less in touch with our own authentic selves, and just, just finding time to be quiet and, and being comfortable in being alone. It's, uh, I, there's research out there that says people are beginning to struggle with just being alone um, with themselves and their own thoughts and their own self without um, feeling the need to, you know, turn on an input. And I think that's, uh, that's an indicator of how difficult it is today and how conditioned we are. And it's certainly, as you know, one of my passions is when we get these leaders away for three days up at the Banff Center to have people leave their cell phones back in their hotel rooms and just come and just be present to themselves. And it's a new experience. And, yeah. you know, Tim, I have to tell you, I could go on all, all, all for the rest of the afternoon uh, having this richness in this conversation, and I also want to respect the fact that uh, we both have busy lives and that uh, our, our listeners have, have lives... You have raised some beautiful points for us to at least stop today and reflect on. And I just want to ask you as we, as we close down the uh, conversation, are there, is there anything that I haven't asked that you would like to pass along to our listeners in this podcast? Are there are some, some of reflections on your own life story, your own experiences, anything that you, your philosophy, anything that you'd like to pass along that would... Uh, uh, enrich what we've already talked about here? Well, at the, at the risk of uh, sounding like uh, I'm on commission, Dave, I do want to say to your listeners that if they have an opportunity to come out and um, um, partake in your uh, authentic leadership retreat, the other Everest out in Banff, they should absolutely 
itself, it was um, it was one of the most impactful retreats, or the most impactful retreat I've ever had in uh, in my life. And I know the other participants who were there in the session that I attended would feel the same way too. Um, and it is so rare to have that opportunity where we can completely shut off from everything else that's going on in our worlds and our busy lives and just really reflect on and look internally and look deeply into ourselves and ask those questions that you've talked about today. You know, who, who are we truly and what is our true character, our true calling, and um, how, can we, how can we leverage that? So um, that, that, number one, is, is something I'd like to say. And um, and secondly, you know, I, I think I'll just um, I'll just say that, that you know part of uh, my authentic journey is being surrounded by people that I have a very high level of trust with, including you, Dave, but also some of the people I work with and members of my family, and being able to uh, to have them look me in the eye and say. Um, Tim, you're being a jerk, or or to give me some some feedback that I need to hear um, in times when I am going off course. And um, I think community is a really important part. I know it's one of the pillars in your framework for the authentic journey. Um, but um, as much as we need to find time to be alone, we also need community that we trust that can support us in this journey. So I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that, I think, for today. Well, that's, that's tremendous, Tim. Thank you so much, and uh, thank you for your honesty and, and clarity around some of these issues. And, you know, I'd love to have it all wrapped up in a nice, neat little package, and we call that, you know, I'd love to sell everybody on a formula to say if you just follow these 10 steps, you too can be authentic and be more successful in your life. And it just doesn't come with a formula. I could pretend that it does, but it comes with just stopping and beginning the journey. If you've listened this long uh, and if this speaks to you, and it, it, it doesn't always, it, it doesn't necessarily speak to people at a particular time in their life. I think we need life sometimes to open that door. But it's, it, it, it's got to come at a time when it's ready, and there's, there's nothing to sell here in terms of uh, a program of authenticity. I think the worst thing that could happen in my legacy is that people turn authenticity into a program and we, we package it. And, and I know that uh, we have to market certain things in this world, but it's a journey that I hope will enrich our listeners um, and that will enrich their lives by looking internally. And Tim, you've been great today. I appreciate your, uh, your, the conversation with you and thanks for enriching my life. Well, it's my pleasure, Dave. Thank you for having me.